0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com/be to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be. This B podcast network show is presented by IXL, loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers. IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined today by Devin Vodichka. Over the past 20 years, Devin's vision for how to drive high quality student outcomes enabled him to quickly ascend the roles of educator, school principal, district administrator to superintendent. During his ten years serving VISTA's Unified more than 25,000 students, Devin earned some of the education industry's most prestigious awards. In 2015, he was named California Superintendent of the Year by both ASCA and Pepperdine University. In 2014, he received the Classroom of the Future Foundation's Innovative Superintendent of the Year Award. After joining VISTA in 2012, he was invited to the White House nine times, both in recognition for district-wide achievements and to partner on national efforts with the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Educational Technology, and the Digital Promise League of Innovative Schools. As Altitude Learning's Chief Impact Officer and Chief Academic Officer, Devin guides the design and strategy of the company's personalized learning platform as it expands into a growing community of private, charter, and public schools. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, Devin.
1: Thanks for the opportunity to connect. I'm honored. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So you gave a TED Talk entitled Embracing a Different Way, where you implored educators to look at the strengths, interests, and values of every student that they worked with. Is that still a cornerstone of your belief system? And how do you incorporate that into the work you do at Altitude Learning?
1: Yeah, that was a great uh, experience to be able to share a bit in that uh, TED Talk. And uh, I definitely continue to be a strong believer that we need to have an asset-based perspective in education. And so much of our conventional sort of industrial model of education sees differences as defects. And we've used labels in education like limited English proficient or disabled, which reinforce that sort of deficit mindset. And in that factory approach to teaching and learning, we're not celebrating, we're not recognizing that that diversity in our background, in our identity, in our culture, in the ways in which we learn is actually a great benefit. And so I do strongly believe that we should take a more positive orientation uh, to seeing these differences as being something very positive and productive. And for that reason, I think starting with strengths, interests, and values as a foundation of a learner-centered system uh, is just a really empowering way to start. And part of how you can do that is through the use of something like a learner profile, where, uh, you know, individuals, whether you're a student or a staff member, are getting to know themselves, uh, doing assessments like the Strengths Finder from Gallup or the Strong Interest Inventory, uh, just to help understand who you are, what your tendencies are, what energizes you. Those types of uh, reflective exercises help you build a better understanding of who you are and how you learn and how you can contribute. And I think that should be happening for students and staff members and all of us that are involved in education.
0: Yeah, I think it's good advice for everyone. Um, It's Mm -hmm. definitely something that we look at. I'm the founder of an elementary school and definitely something that we look at from their perspective. And how do we help them to build that emotional intelligence and understand themselves and understand how they're motivated and also what holds them back and how to overcome that. And still as an adult, we still um, struggle with that and continually look at ourselves because we change over time. You know, talking about a student centered approach to education. You know, there's a lot of talk about student agency and how we give students greater ability to follow their interests and choose what they're learning. But our system that we've been working with for so long is very passive in that we sit and we learn and we take in information. So how do you see us moving to where teachers can really become facilitators of learning and helping students guide that pathway versus the program that we've had so long? How do we move into becoming good learners?
1: Yeah. This is a tough question. There there are a lot of uh, dimensions to it. Uh, And, you know, it it takes systems alignment. And so, you know, I was fortunate to uh, recently publish a book called Learner Centered Leadership, where uh, I was able to walk through some of the things that I've learned in my experience, including how we need to have a coherent and aligned framework for the future with a student-centered vision mission, values, goals, roles, and responsibilities, a plan, learner profiles, a learning model, but we also need a different definition of success. When you have all of these different things in place, uh, you you can see how quickly uh, the learner's experience can really uh, shift. And so if we want students to be more active, if we want them to be driving their learning, uh, we know quite a bit now from these learner-centered systems about how to make those practices come to life. And you see very common elements such as students setting their own goals, collecting evidence of their own progress, reflecting on that progress, uh, sharing it in a community-based way. You see uh, use of things like playlists where you have students in some ways moving at their own rate on, on certain skills You also see a strong orientation to collaborative problem solving, where students are working on open-ended projects that are very challenging and help to promote creativity and innovation. And so each of these things you see often in pockets, but unless you really align all the elements of your system, you're not going to see this happening uh, at scale. And so a lot of the work that uh, I've been focused on is how how do we help leaders to really create those enabling conditions? so that the learning experiences are aligned with this empowering mode of of teaching and learning.
0: Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K to 12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations including english learners and students in special education programs IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA tier 1 standards with those results combined with IXL's teacher friendly reputation what more could you ask for I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com B for a demo. That's IXL.com B-E. That leads great into my next question. You know, we know so much and we've learned so much. And through your experience as principal and superintendent of school district, you've really been able to dig in and do this work at a district level. And we've learned so much about how to make students successful. So why is there so much resistance to the change and to the shift? How can we really push the system towards that change and, and work back that resistance?
1: That's a good question. And it's, <laughs> it's complex. I mean, there's a lot of perceived security in what we have experienced and what we, what we know. And for, for many, you know, there's a perception that that worked for them. And so part of what seems clear to me is that the world around schools has been changing rapidly. And for that reason, uh, we, we've sort of hit a plateau in terms of the, the outputs that we can get with a traditional factory model of, of teaching and learning. Uh, and there's evidence for that when you look at high school graduation rates, which have been stagnant for about five decades now, which is about when we start to shift from an industrial to a knowledge economy. So big part of what I've seen that helped to just elevate the urgency for a need for change is for us to get outside of education itself and to be connected with our communities. Uh, And so some examples of that would be, you know, we had leadership meetings and we would do them in different workplace settings in our community. So we would meet in the hospital or we would meet in a Hot tub manufacturers uh, setting, or we would meet in different community environments, and we would connect and learn from employers in our area. What were they looking for in students? What were the challenges? What were the opportunities? Uh, and I think once you realize that, you know, the world of work is not sitting in rows where you're getting uh, direction on, you know, what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Uh, you start to recognize that this compliance mode of teaching and learning is is not serving students for this adaptive future. And if we didn't have an understanding that the world was changing rapidly, the last few months have certainly underscored just the urgency of a need to be adaptive and flexible. I saw a stat recently, more than 50% of all jobs in the U.S. have shifted to remote due to the coronavirus pandemic. And so if that can occur, how are we preparing students for that adaptive future uh, is a big question. And so in my experience, when you really help people to see the reason for the change, which is so that we can thrive in the future, the the resistance drops and the the urgency and the the energy to make the change happen increases. Uh, And you're seeing this in more and more classrooms and schools and districts and communities across the country. Uh, for the past few years, but it's it's accelerating now uh, because of that just a rapid change in our environment.
0: Yeah, we definitely see that, you know, along with half of the workforce working remotely, we also have pretty much the entire student, <laughs> student base working remotely for the last part of last year. That's right. um, and also, you know, current stats coming out saying millions of kids aren't going to go back in the fall, whether it's because their districts are choosing remote learning or just Mm -hmm. families aren't sending their kids back. So we're definitely at a moment in time where something has to shift and we've got to find a way to be flexible. Um, Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, to probably relook at the definition of success and Mm -hmm. how our kids are learning and what, what that really looks like.
1: That's right. I mean, conventional metrics like standardized testing, they're just not practical. You know, you, you saw Mm -hmm. efforts uh, from some to try to do it, but when, uh, when the infrastructure is not there to make that happen, those those tests uh, are impractical and, and, and not meaningful. Things like seat time, uh, a metric that we've relied on for a long time, completely useless in the current context. Uh, and I've seen teachers really struggling to do conventional letter grades as well, because a lot of the methods that they've relied on in the past uh, just break down in this compelled emergency remote learning environment. So I think this is a great time to be thinking about how can we elevate whole child outcomes in a competency-based uh, way uh, that really demonstrates meaningful learning instead of seat time or standardized tests, which we know are pretty flawed proxies for what we really want, which is learning and for mm-hmm. learners to be empowered.
0: And you were you were also talking about taking you know your staff meetings and planning meetings offsite into different industry settings. Um and mm-hmm. looking at how we can support students really in life and in the future for the future of work, are mm-hmm. you? I'm I'm really curious. Are you involving students in those conversations as well?
1: Yeah. So you know, t- two things uh, that really I think uh, have just had a big impact on my own development, but I've seen you know more broadly as well. One is this connectedness with the world outside of schools, and I think we can always strengthen that in a way that better informs what we're doing and and build social capital to improve the work as well. But the other thing that's so critical is listening to students. And so I've described in a few settings how transformational it was for me to do these uh, student forums. Uh, And I did this when I was a new superintendent, but, you know, went out and just asked groups of students questions. What do you like about school? What would you change about it? Uh, What are the things that you think we need to know as we improve? And their input was just stunning. Part of what came out of that for me was you had good kids who were trying to do their best, and they didn't see the purpose or the relevance in what they were being asked to do. And so in many cases, they were just going through the motions. And what they really wanted was to have more choices. They wanted more challenging problems. They wanted to be more socially engaged with their peers. And those are those are good things. And so as we were able to make some of those changes, you saw the level of engagement and empowerment just, just go up. Mm-hmm. And their ongoing input is such a critical piece in this change process. So yes, I'm. Uh, we, we included students in all of our governance groups. We included them in different committees. Uh, and, and their input was such such an important piece of that change process. And, you know, we often think that students are passive. They are not passive. <laughs> they know so much. And so even recently, I've been encouraging school leaders, have you talked to students? Have you got input on what worked for them, what didn't work through this period of emergency learning? And and how does that input inform your plans for what we do next? We have to keep doing that.
0: Yeah, students are very capable and knowledgeable when we give them the opportunity to share their thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely at at that high school stage of development i'll say opinionated
1: <laughs> yes uh but, but you know grounded too like you know and and even at the younger ages i mean some of the most insightful questions that have surfaced have come from from little kids I, we we were talking in a a meeting once about shifting to more flexible learning environments and how the, the world outside of schools was moving away from from these rigid types of settings to ones where people had more choice in terms of where they did their work and how they did it. And uh, one of the students said, well, not every workplace is like that. How do you help us to be advocates so that when we get out of school, we can can encourage our bosses and our environment to, to have these types of settings? And it was such a switch in terms of, how we could orient the work. And it was like an eight-year-old kid asking the question. So yeah, we we um we should be open to the idea that there's great wisdom and perspective and insights from kids of all ages.
0: Absolutely. Going back to talking about school models a little bit, you were also the chief impact officer of Alt School. Mm-hmm. And Alt School famously raised 174 million in startup capital for their learning experiment and founding mm-hmm. the series of micro schools um, mm-hmm. and also building the platform in which those schools would run. Can you tell me a little bit more about that model and what you learned from that model of schooling?
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic experience. So these were uh, pre K through eighth grade schools, multi age, where we really tried to push the edges of whole child. Competency-based, uh, learner-centered experiences, uh, and we were able to uh, attract families who were really interested in this model as well. And uh, in this space, we were able to uh, just to do a lot in terms of finding out, you know, if you go to multi-age groups, like what are the what are the ranges that you should consider with a multi-age group when you think about progress reporting. Uh, how can you share that information in a way that's most helpful for the student and for the family? Uh, and that also aligns with matriculation into the next group? Uh, how can you organize your space to be most flexible, particularly in a micro school setting where you don't have uh, an abundance of room in your facilities? So we were able to, to just learn a great deal uh, through this. And every year, these schools were getting better and better and better. Uh, and uh, it was it was just a phenomenal experience. We ended up transitioning the management of those schools to another operator so that we could focus exclusively on sharing those insights with the field at large and so uh, those schools are still running and, and uh, doing quite well and you know part of what I like about it is as we think about how to spread learner centered practices, it needs to be grounded in the realities of what happens with real kids and real teachers and real families. And and uh, this approach was able to inform our perspective from that uh, real experience.
0: Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a full personalized learning model. So students were coming in using playlists to check out what they should be doing each day and then mm-hmm. checking in with their educators as well. Is that is that correct? And how it was working?
1: Yes. So, you know, uh, if I describe the day in general, you know, there was a floating drop-off period in the morning. Uh, there were morning meetings, a strong emphasis on social emotional learning uh, and that that community connection. After the morning meetings, there was typically a period of time that was more, you know, playlist oriented where the teacher would be working with small groups or individuals uh, largely on what you might consider to be foundational skills in language arts and math. And then afternoons were much more project-based, out in the community, whole-class types of uh, activities. And then you had like a rolling end of the day as well. And so students were moving in some cases at their own rate, particularly on those foundational skills that have more of the linear progression, but also this strong emphasis on social-emotional learning connectedness, open-ended problems. I think one of the things that we've all seen is that there tends to be a, an idea to narrow concepts like personalization and, and presume it's independent study all the time when a real learner-centered experience has some elements like that, but also many elements of learning in the community and more of the open-ended collaborative types of uh, experiences.
0: Yeah, and you, you talked a lot about social emotional learning in, mm-hmm. in morning meetings and in the playlists, and then making sure that kids are building an understanding of themselves and their connection and their community. <laughs> As humans, we're, we're really social creatures. Mm-hmm. We learn best from other people that we've built a solid relationship with. Mm-hmm. So, did you see any challenges with the students getting their work from a playlist in that setting, but also in the broader setting now of moving to distance learning? how do you think the online learning is going to affect human Mm -hmm. thinking and human relationships and that feeling of interconnectedness?
1: Yeah. So I would say in the schools we were running, I felt like we had a good balance and and students felt like they were well connected and we had a lot of input Mm -hmm. from the students directly uh, that helped us to have confidence that that was happening. But these were brick and mortar in-person experiences. And right now Uh, You know, everyone is learning from home and it's much more challenging to create the community conditions when you don't have the benefits of physical proximity. Uh, But even with that, I'm seeing a lot of ingenuity in in certain settings where educators and, and schools and systems are trying to create that community through virtual connections as much as possible. So, you know, in some cases, you see schools that are trying to replicate A traditional or you know like a six period day schedule in a virtual environment the ones that seem to be working more effectively are where they recognize that we need totally different structures in this remote learning uh, setup and they're doing things like having uh advisory types of experiences where it's groups of students that come together frequently to talk about how they're feeling you know where they need help uh with more of this uh guidance, supportive, social-emotional learning type of orientation than a content-first academic uh, focus. And it's not to say that the academics or the content are not important, but if we don't have that social connection, we don't feel safe, we don't feel grounded, our, our engagement tends to diminish over time. So I hope we'll be able to continue to do things like online class meetings, as a a closest proxy to that in-person proximity so that students do feel connected. And I hope that we elevate the prioritization of that use of time, uh, recognizing that it's just so critical that all of us as learners feel connected to a a supportive community.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we found as a small school in the spring, as we Mm -hmm. initially launched in the distance learning, just offering the foundational pieces that they needed for education. And very quickly found that our students were disengaged and they were, you know, they were sad and they wanted to talk to their friends and they were missing everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. And so very quickly built in morning meeting time and community connection time and and then building our foundational skills into project learning. So things that were relevant to the time period that we're in and also to their environment, because now they Mm -hmm. were at home and not in school and they had different things going on. And so then building those foundational skills through project learning also helps to build that community, because now the kids are collaborating and they're talking about each of their own experiences in each of their own environments, mm-hmm. um, which builds all those relationships. So it was, yeah, something that we saw very early on in a very real setting, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, with a group of young children that they really needed that connection with their educators.
1: Yeah, now that sounds great. Hopefully you'll be able to keep doing that uh, as long as it's necessary.
0: Well, you know, we're humans, so will be necessary forever.
1: That's <laughs> yes, right. Well, I mean, uh, the, the virtual part. Hopefully at some point you're yes. back in person. But Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what we're looking at next year is the whole, you know, first several weeks of the year is community building and connections and friendship and belonging mm-hmm. and, you know, and really building that community within an online classroom. Because this past mm-hmm. year we had you know, we had the ability that we were in school together two thirds of the year before it happened. And next year, that's not going to be the case. There are new students in a new classroom with new teachers. And so how do we build that sense of belonging? Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. But if we were going to give some advice to parents who are Mm -hmm. navigating this and worried about their kids maybe falling behind or looking at different options, what Mm -hmm. do you have some practical advice you could share for parents?
1: Uh yeah a couple of things one is you know I'm a parent myself I've got two kids my daughter's 18 she just graduated high school had a very atypical senior year uh yes. I've got a son who's 12 and he's a middle schooler and one of the things that is clear if you are a parent is every kid is unique and so you know what what works best for one child is not necessarily going to be exactly the same for for the next And so just as we started the conversation by saying, think about the strengths and interests of each individual learner. I hope parents are doing the same for their own kids uh, and thinking about what what is going to energize this child at this point in time uh, and recognize that what what is the right thing for them at that time may be different for someone else, may be different for two kids in the same family. And so just be open to that possibility. And then, you know, there are all these concerns about kids' falling behind. But behind what? Like, what are they falling behind? Every kid has the same challenges right now. Uh, yep. And so, you know, we, we, we've created these expectations around certain demonstrations of achievement that we should be reconsidering even before the pandemic. And people can learn in all kinds of different settings. So, you know, don't, don't presume that your child is not learning just because they're not in school they may be learning things that are different than they would if they were in school but some of those things that they're learning are still very very important you know how to maintain a sense of curiosity and creativity how to be resourceful you know kids are are doing things now that they weren't asked to do previously and some of those things that they're doing are are going to be very beneficial so all of this is to say don't be so hard on ourselves as parents, don't be so hard on the kids, and and recognize it, uh, to try to have that strengths-based perspective and think about, you know, what is going well and how can we build on that moving forward.
0: That's great advice, and it brings our conversation full circle. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that, I want to say, you know, thank you again so much for your time today. I appreciate your time and your thoughts, Um, and congratulations to your daughter on her... Thank you unusual high school graduation. (laughs) That's
1: right. Yeah. And thank you for leading the school during these challenging times. It's always important work, but especially vital now. So appreciate the work that you and your team are doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive inclusive elementary school, Up Academy at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com/b to learn more and receive $500 off your first year, that's MyFlexLearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet Tier 1 standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's I-X-L dot com slash B-E.